Robertson along with a guest Chuck Carter as we take a look at some of the various portrayals of Elvis Presley in movies and on television over the past 40 years. Chuck produced the three-part Elvis profile, I, Elvis, that originally aired on hard copy in the early 1990s. As a result of that project, Chuck got to know several members of the Memphis Mafia, including Charlie Hodge, Sonny West, Lamar Fike, Billy Smith, and Jerry Schilling. And as a result, Chuck got some first-hand Elvis anecdotes, Elvis knowledge from the people who were closest to him. Chuck will share a few of those stories later on in the conversation. The new Elvis movie opens uh, theatrically wide Friday, June 24th, as we um, record this conversation. And it's hard to believe August 16th, 1977 will be 45 years since the passing of Elvis. Yeah, it has been a long time. And as I said before, his legacy and memory lives on. Well, again, for all the listeners to TV Confidential that hear me, May I suggest a film that maybe some of you haven't heard of that I really like. It was made in 1997 in Canada. It was a low-budget film called Elvis Meets Nixon, and it's really good. Uh, I think parts of it are on YouTube. If you can go to YouTube, type in Elvis at the Donut Shop or Elvis at the Hippie Record Store. And again, it's sort of a comic fantasy about him going to get his Drug Enforcement Agency badge from uh, President Nixon. A guy named Rick Peters plays him, and he captures it. He, he looks pretty good, too, but it, it, Elvis becomes a real guy, even though, again, it is in a comic fantasy way. Uh, so I heartily recommend Elvis Meets Nixon. Elvis and Nixon, which came out... Uh, the previous year or a few years before, uh, that's good, but Elvis meets Nixon is the one to see, and you will laugh, you'll enjoy it. It's a wonderful film. The concept of Elvis meeting Nixon seems incongruous because they would they would seem to be both from different worlds, and yet when you think about it, they, uh, both Elvis and Richard Nixon had more in common than one would realize. Yeah, that's true. Um, both came to prominence in the 50s, Elvis with his rock and roll career, and Nixon through being Eisenhower's vice president. Both kind of fell from grace and disappeared for a while. Both made comebacks in 1968. Nixon was elected president. Elvis had his TV comeback special. And in 1970, their world has changed radically. Hippies, drugs, 
counterculture, youth revolution, uh, Vietnam, uh, the world doesn't really make a lot of sense to them anymore. So again, to plug Elvis meets Nixon, there's some wonderful scenes where Elvis is at the White House talking to Nixon and there's war protesters outside against the Vietnam War and it, it just, it's really good. But both of them came back, and until Watergate, Nixon, you know, was prominent. And Elvis, although he sort of settled into a rut in the last three or four years, still kept touring, still kept having adoring audiences, still released albums, which always had a few really good tracks or singles. So, um, yeah, they both uh, survived and kept going. And when you say Elvis got into a rut, in between those those three three year periods where everything kind of spiked for him, that was not so much Elvis's fault as it was the management. The management, as you alluded to a little while ago, Parker's uh, was focused mostly on uh, the bottom line. Parker was conservative in the sense that he made sure that Elvis pretty much did only what worked in terms of what made money, and. Uh, as you mentioned a little while ago, there's a familiarness to the quote-unquote Elvis movie, you know, Blue, Blue Hawaii being one just example where he plays a swinger or whatever, and he's inevitably surrounded by pretty girls, and he does six or seven or maybe ten uh, enough for an album, you know, that they can market around the movie, but it was not much of a challenge, and I know... Um, I know this from talking to you. I also know this from talking to Janita Brewer-Barrett, who's the daughter of Anita Wood, who was Elvis's first steady girlfriend before he met Priscilla. When Elvis had an opportunity to act, to sink himself into a character, he really, he really, really sparkled. And when, when, when given a chance to act, his movies usually hold up. Yeah, that's very true. And... You're right about Colonel Parker loving the bottom line, and he did. Now, Elvis was under contract primarily to Paramount Pictures in the 60s, and there was a saying by the head of Paramount Studios that we have two surefire types of movies here, Jerry Lewis movies and Elvis movies, three a year, rather low budget, guaranteed hits, plus in Elvis's case, soundtrack albums. Yeah, they, they made so much money, uh, the head of Paramount said if, he wants to burn down the studio, I'll give him a match. <laughs> Rather exaggerated uh, saying, I think. Yeah. But you get it. So it was automatic, you know, and, and the fans kind of fell in place that, oh, okay, it's the latest Elvis movie. Color, um, uh, pretty girls, he fights, gets in a couple of fights, uh, a little bit of comedy, um, a lot of uh, pretty scenery. They were color movies. But I was thinking about this the other day because Elvis became a movie actor in the 60s. He kind of set out the 60s in a way. And he, he disappeared. He did his last live shows in 61 and didn't return until 69. So the whole 60s British invasion, psychedelic rock out of San Francisco, hard rock, all of that, he, he wasn't around because I, I, I wonder if he had continued to perform, say, in 1967, ooh, would he have had trouble? You know, I don't know. But once that sort of settled down in 1969, 
with uh, Woodstock, you know, ending everything for the hippies, he came back. So maybe in a way, ultimately, it was kind of good that he just set out the 60s uh, traumatic uh, social conditions. Which brings us to, and I only bring this up because this is a natural say, which brings us to the 1968 comeback special, which um, because he had sort of, quote-unquote, sat out the music scene during most, most of the decade and focused mostly on movies, there was a concern that Elvis was no longer relevant. And we, we had a chance to talk to Steve Bender a couple of times, who, who became very, very close to Elvis during the two months prior to filming the 68 comeback special. And uh, that special gave El—it it, it showcased El, Elvis doing other things that he would not ordinarily do. And uh, when it came to um, If I Can Dream— it, it gave Elvis an opportunity to express what he was really feeling, what was very important to him at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And there are real highlights of that special. There's a section where they're sort of sitting in a boxing ring, he and a few guys, and he would sit around and, and jam and sing with the guys. And uh, Bender picked up on that, and it's really good. There's also a couple of fantasy sequences, which smell a little of his movies. He's in a <laughs> house of ill repute yes. and gets in a fight. Yeah. Um, but at the end, when he sings If I Can Dream, he's got a white suit on, and it's a live vocal. And all of his gospel influence, because Elvis was very influenced by gospel. In fact, originally he wanted to be a gospel singer, but didn't go that way. It's magnificent. Um, again, anybody who hears this when it's done, go to YouTube, Elvis, if I can dream, and listen to how magnificent his performance is. And look for the original one, not the one where uh, uh, Celine Dion is morphed into yeah, it. Yeah, no, no. Th- nothing against Celine Dion, but no, it's like it, that. that yeah, <laughs> if you want to watch this. Let's just keep going on, man. <laughs> I just want the one where I'm up there, man. Not that, not that skinny, not that skinny gal singing. You hear me? Chuck Carter is with us. Chuck got to know many members of the Memphis Mafia in the early 1990s when he helped produce a three-part mini documentary for hard copy called "I Elvis." Chuck is sharing some of his Elvis knowledge and music knowledge as we take a look at the various portrayals of Elvis Presley in movies and on television. If you're listening to us in Southern California, you can see Chuck perform at the Sideshow Bookstore, 1639 La Cienica Boulevard in Los Angeles, Saturday, July 23rd, beginning at 8 p.m., sideshowbookstore.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. If I Could Dream was also very meaningful to him because... It was recorded, as was the 68 comeback special. It was recorded just a few months after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Elvis took the death of Martin Luther King very, very hard. Yeah, he did. Elvis lived in Memphis, was a Memphis guy, and uh, Elvis respected Dr. King. And again, it's unfortunate that in later years, a few aspiring rappers who shall remain nameless started saying that Elvis was a racist and hated black people and this kind of thing. Nothing could be further than the truth. Many, many black artists and people who knew him re, you know, refuted that. Um, 
But Elvis was very shattered by it. And then two months later, Bob, Robert Kennedy was shot. So it was a very turbulent time in America, and America kind of exploded. And then uh, Elvis did the special, and the soundtrack album from the special was the best record he'd made in a while. And shortly after that, he released an album called From Elvis in Memphis, which is a full bullseye album, and started gigging and playing. So he came back. Uh, One of the great Hollywood comeback stories. We're, We're recording this a few days before the release of the movie. The highly anticipated Elvis biopic starring Austin Butler and Tom Hanks, which opens wide June 24th. So we're working off the trailer and the anecdotal evidence uh, that we have gathered, and and again, I just go back to twelve minutes standing <clears throat> ovation from the audience at the Cannes Film Festival. Man, that just shows he is relevant, and that uh, his audience still loves him. Absolutely, and the Cannes Film Festival, for those that don't know, is a very prestigious film festival. It's been going forever and a day, but it attacks the creme de la creme of European critics, and some are real snobs. And Elvis again has symbolized. American popular culture and among those that are perhaps uninformed for a long time he became the overweight cheeseburger eating drug addict um, joke and uh, that is at the expense of all the good things that he did and if you look at Elvis's whole career in life there were certainly some rough patches especially at the end but the good far outweighs the bad and he entertained the entire world. I think you probably could go anywhere in the world and show a picture of him, and they would know who that is. And his music has endured all over the world. Much like Michael Jackson, who is very similar in some ways, who was trapped by his success and ultimately self-medicated and died, um, these guys gave their lives for their fans and their audience and gave everything they had, and they brought happiness to millions and millions of people, but unfortunately, it eluded them. So it's always good to uh, listen to some Elvis, or watch a movie, or listen to Michael Jackson, or, you know, uh, honor these performers who gave so much to us to bring a little happiness in our lives. Elvis is huge all over the world, as you just said. He's particularly huge, I understand, in Australia. There's an excellent website. I believe it's called Elvis Australia. It has a lot of interviews with um, actors and actresses who worked with Elvis on many of his movies. It has interviews with members of the Memphis Mafia, as I understand. And it's ironic, it's ironic um, that uh, his, his... Elvis was huge all over the world. He didn't. He never traveled outside of the United States. And again, that had more to do with Colonel Parker than it did with Elvis himself. Yeah, most unfortunate. Colonel Parker, if, if you, any of the listeners don't know, was born in Holland. And he was a, a, an illegal immigrant and always was very protective over his identity. That's why Elvis paid full taxes, didn't get any tax benefits. Colonel Parker did not want to leave the country to have to come up with a passport. And Elvis had big, big offers, huge offers from England, 
And I think around 74 or 5, and I can't remember if it, Khashoggi, Kogi, uh, an Iranian maybe, he was a head or king or somewhere over there. And he had offered $5 million for one show. And Elvis needed the money, and he was up for it, and then Parker killed it. And that's two years before he died, and I think that may have been the final, okay, let's just keep going. And not that he gave up, but I think that that took the fire out of him. And yet, every now and then, Elvis would show some backbone, so to speak, and he would stand up the park. Dee Bender tells this story much better than I do, but uh, going back to the 68 comeback special, Parker wanted Elvis to end it with a Christmas song because that's commercial. And um, Elvis said, no, I ain't going to do that. That's true. Parker, in fact, wanted a Christmas special all along. Elvis sings 10 Christmas songs and says goodnight. And Steve, who liked Elvis and saw the good in him and had directed a very popular rock series called Hullabaloo, Mm -hmm. um, wanted to bring the real Elvis back. And they got a lot of things changed. And Parker backed off for once. And at the end, he wanted him to sing Silent Night or something. And Elvis fought for it. And he said no. And Parker backed down. And it was the best thing Elvis had done with a long time. And it ends the special on an incredibly moving high note. And the single, I think, hit the top ten. And he... He never recorded it again, and you tell me if I'm wrong, he never performed it again. Strangely, he didn't. Um, Elvis was a little odd in in some things. When Burn in Love in 1972 was a a rocker that came back, uh, Parker threw it away on a budget album, and Elvis only did it live a few times. He didn't particularly like it, and... I know as an Elvis fan in the 70s, and many other Elvis fans had said, they wanted him to still rock, you know, do the ballads or the big numbers or the country songs, but rock, and he hardly ever did. So it's just it's just really unfortunate. But again, you have to look at the big picture, and there's so much good music in Elvis's catalog that there's plenty to hear anyway. And in the 50s, there's lots of rock. Chuck Carter is with us as we continue our look at the life and career of Elvis Presley, the highly anticipated Elvis biopic starring Tom Hanks and Austin Butler opens wide June 24th. Take a quick time out. Talks more, Chuck. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. 